I've been an undercover agent. I'm undercover certified. I was the undercover that was making the first contact with an intelligence officer because it was an access point um, for making this contact. Was I the one that's gonna continue the relationship? Hell no. You know why? It was a lie. Are you facing a challenge in your business or family right now? I mean, let's be honest, who the hell isn't? Do you know how to leverage trust in order to face that challenge in the most meaningful way? Hello, my friends. My name is Chad, and this is the Naked Leadership Podcast, high stakes conversations for relentless company founders. My co-host and I have over six decades of combined experience in leadership coaching, and this podcast is where we explore it all. There is no conversation too risky. This week, Adrian, Dan, and I sit down with the one and only Robin Dreek. Robin is an ex-FBI master spy recruiter and renowned for his work in counterintelligence. He reveals how trust can be forged, even with those who we would typically label as villains, and how understanding their perspective can lead to unprecedented results. We dive deep into the shadows, exploring the minds of spies, cultists, and even those who committed some of the most heinous crimes. We discover how trust, compassion, and genuine connection can be powerful tools in solving the most complex problems. Get ready to explore the art of trust, the power of vulnerability, and the surprising parallels between the world's espionage and entrepreneurship. Robin very quickly became one of my favorite people, and I think you'll see why in this conversation. Okay, let's dive in. Robin Drake, it's so good to have you in the conversation. Thanks for coming. My pleasure, Chad and Dan and Adrian, my favorite man crushes on the face of the planet today. <laughs> you're, you're definitely there for us as well. So. Oh, I know. I know. I was, I was actually talking about going. you. Say what? I got the big bromance going, got the goosebumps going. <laughs> yeah. I was actually talking with a friend of mine about you and about your work, you know, and it, yeah, obviously there's lots of intrigue around your work and your history and such. And it was just, it was part of the breakfast table conversation this morning. So um, have loved, loved our time together you know, on your, on your podcast, Forged by Trust. And it was just so great. So refreshingly um, digging, you know, you just kept asking the question over and I'm like, wow, this guy is interested in the deep end and he's, that's where he's going. Okay. Mm. I'll, let me take a good breath and I'll go with you all the way down. <laughs> anyway, I just dig people that are really unapologetically committed to being connected to people. And that's my vibe with you, man. And that's so rare this day and age. So thanks for who you are, man. Uh, thanks. I, you know, filling out the nooks and crannies of everyone's life and discovering that arc that started all of our journeys together. It's, it's beautiful because when we understand that arc, we start painting that art form of communication between two people and we understand each other at that deeper level. And then we can do the most important thing. And that is, be there for each other's pain, be there to help people overcome their challenges and pain points. And because it ebbs and flows, it goes back and forth. And if you can't do that, then what are you doing here on this planet anyway? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I definitely want to direct people to those episodes of your podcast, Forging, Forged by Trust, both Adrian. Dan's isn't out yet, coming soon to a to a Forged by Trust podcast near you. Um, but so, so excited to listen to both of those conversations Robin, um, would you just quickly introduce yourself to our audience? What do we need to know to get to know you? Yeah, so um, Chad you get, said give the 30,000-foot level. So I'll give the, the 
the impressive uh here's the resume one yes i will i am the retired head of the fbi counterintelligence behavioral analysis program former fbi agent and i recruited spies for 22 years with the fbi former marine corps officer naval academy graduate and i ran as the head of the behavioral analysis program i strategize all the hooky spooky spy stuff espionage investigations interrogations false flag operations double agent operations and recruitments of foreign spies there you go jesus that's amazing <laughs> just don't say too much uh, just don't say too much here <laughs> just keep it tight you keep your, it tight. your life is all when it, when you've looked at netflix and say here's what we recommend it's essentially all versions of robin like that your, your <laughs> life is everything i'm interested in it's like you know it's get- really uh, you know adrian what's really funny i gotta do a better job of of trying to be impressed with that because i think it's, it's just a job you know, like you do anything you get reps in it as we've chatted about even on my show you get reps in something and you start understanding how bad you are at it i mean so we're all born pretty mm-hmm. much the same we're all born a biological and genetic organism on this planet and what our environment around us starts shaping is the path and directions we have passion in, and we're either going to get the reps in to get better at it or not. I had a history of trying to create allies in my life to overcome my many deficiencies, both through social and economic statuses I, I had grown up and uh, passions I had that I wanted to pursue. And when it came down to it, all the the fun things of recruiting spies and everything I wish I could make it so that it's all about the carnival tricks we see on TV about manipulation and subterfuge and getting people to tell you things they don't want to tell you. And then they had no idea. Yeah, that's, you can do all that. But at the heart of doing all that, it's actually, could you inspire someone to trust you? Can you inspire them to feel safe with you? And if they don't feel safe with you, they're not going to do anything because they're literally putting their life in, in your hands and their family's life and not just their lives, their legacy, their name, their, their personal reputation and brand for all time. And can they really trust you with that? So it, it takes those carnival tricks we learn because uh, that's how we get reps in. We learn the things we have to do to focus on my behaviors, the, my tactical use and strategic use of language. But when we can get over that and focus on what we're doing and really focus and be present like you all do during the podcast, like I try to do for you all on my show, mm-hmm. you can be present for them. Hear the word they're using. See the the nonverbal congruence or incongruence with their comfort or discomfort with what they're sharing. Explore those nooks and crannies without an agenda, just mm-hmm. with deep rooted desire to learn about them and get close. So that mm-hmm. that's so it's not as mystery. It's uh, I wish it could be sexier than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, even sexy the, it up the, for the, us a little bit, please. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, it's not a mystery to you, right? I mean, the even in our work with founders of companies, I was talking with the guy this morning um, that might be a client and he was asking about what the work is. And I kind of slowly walked him through all of the complexities of founder life and with grueling detail. Um, and I said, we talk about all that and that's not what's on the, you know, on Instagram, but that's what where people live. They live in, right the definitely deep inter, interpersonal and relational complexities and how how much mastery I'm willing to take on of those two domains, I think the quality of life is 100% connected to your answer to that question. 
Like how willing mm-hmm. am I to master myself? How willing am I to master this art of relating to people in a way that works for them? And if I haven't decided to master that, then I've just, here we go. We're just going to roll the dice. And there are results just rolling the dice. And anyway, my, my point, which was meant to be a compliment, was that those that doesn't seem like mysterious to you only because it's really in the bullseye of what matters to you and you throw yourself at it that it seems boring to you or seems commonplace for you. But I know people listening right now that are thinking, wow, I don't think about this stuff at all. Right. You know, I'm just doing my job. I'm just holding a meeting. I'm just, you know, giving a report to the investors. And they're not thinking about all these nooks and crannies of communication and how to engage with other people in a way that really generates trust. So, And you said a key word Like it's easy for you. Yeah. Well, it's not easy. And, and you're right. And you use that word just. Nothing's a just if you're into it and right you're on. passionate. Everything, everything's of matter. And you said a key thing in there also, and that is the mastery. You know, the amount of time to focus on self. And, and so this is the fascinating thing, you know, as leaders and as we are students of leadership and we espouse and teach leadership to others, which is all about others and being of service to others and solving, being a resource, their pain points and challenges in life. We can't do that unless we have that deep self-mastery. I can, as you all know, and as you do too, I consume a vast amount of information that is part of my job. Part of my job for myself, I'm the, I am, by the way, I, I, I was laughing with my wife yesterday. I am the worst boss to work for. I'm, a, I'm an employee of one because I'm relentless because all day long, I, most of my day is consumed with, with consuming information and knowledge. Because I, I fear I'm not going to have an inspiration, a resource for someone that has a question that has an, is that is in pain. And the more I learn about something, the more like a fool I feel like I am because I didn't know that before. I need to learn more about that today and tomorrow. And so we have this we get in this constant cycle, as Warren Buffett does, of constantly consuming information to kind of make us round out like half the half the books I read are because of my own interest and curiosity. The other half or for the people around me in my life, if they've re- if someone in my life that I'm either coaching, working with, or just a friend or, or coworker mentions a book or a podcast or something that they listen to or they've read, it's on my list and I've read it by the end of the week so I can understand them at that deeper level because part of understanding others is understanding what people consume, not just what they mm-hmm. drink, what their knowledge mm-hmm. is, what their ends. The, the, the really challenging thing we have, and this is what this is where the art takes form, you can only do that and be there for others if you don't judge what they're consuming. That is challenging because mm-hmm. we want to judge it because we think we have the right answers. Our ego and vanity, I mean, I know you all get that, you don't, but this is what trips people up is when you see someone consuming or behaving a certain way or espousing certain ideas that are incongruent with yours, whether it's even coming out of our mouth or not, our nonverbals are going to scream, I'm judging you. That when you can start letting go of that and and when you hear something that doesn't quite agree with you, that you haven't heard quite that way before or you don't agree with, get closer because that is that's when the curiosity should your eyeball should light up. It's like, wow, I'm about to experience a human being in a way I've never experienced them before. Let's go. Hmm. So tell why don't you talk a little bit about how you like what provoked you in your story? And, you know, you talk about the story arc of your own life. Like what got you so interested that 
you're obviously interested in people in a way that led you to the Marines and then eventually the FBI. I'd love to hear what, like what you, like what a little bit of your story, like how did you get there? You called it passion. That's yeah. what I was, you, you've mentioned passion three times and I'm, and yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm wondering Robin, when, what is the passion? How do you name it? And when did you notice it? The important thing, and, and thank you. Great questions. I love the arc, the, the, the origin stories, and I'm going to be really, really vulnerable. And I'm going to give a really horrible answer on this one because it, it's very, it pokes at me a lot. My passion when I was younger, because people that generally, I'll, I'll, I give what's called a narrative answer. I apologize. People that generally get into freakishly into behavior generally come from a trauma that re relied on them being really attuned. I got all heads nodding, really attuned to other people's behavior to feel safe. Yep. And yeah. when I was younger, um, my house, my parents have still never owned their own home. They, uh, we rented a house and our house one year that we rented in the middle of the woods lost its heat. Is a two bedroom, one galley kitchen, one living room, crawl space. The crawl space is where the furnace was. The furnace fell on the ground. It broke. The landlord said, I can fix the furnace if we raise the rent. And my parents couldn't afford a rent raise. So they spent their last $400, bought a wood burning stove, poked a hole in the ceiling without telling the landlord. And we heated our house all by wood for like three years until we moved again. Um, and so when you heat your house all by wood in upstate New York and you Keep, put plastic on the windows to try to keep the heat in the condensation goes down the plastic and the house is below freezing in the middle of night and your door gets frozen in and you have to chisel your way out with a hairdryer and a chisel in the morning to go deliver the papers um it creates grit resilience and self-reliance and but also makes you very self-centered now you combine that with being bullied and having the name robin blonde hair blue eyed only child it's like a man named sue I mean, so, <laughs> and so when you're inspired then by a family friend that was an airline pilot for United Airlines and his air and his I love me room in his house was full of what he did in the Navy as a Navy pilot during the Vietnam War. And you see this I love me room and, and I and I lived in a house I lived in, never felt like a victim, felt like I needed to just solve this problem. And I looked at this guy's house as an airline pilot for United. He's got a pool. He's got a beautiful home. He's got some acreage. I was like, I want that life. So I need to have grit and resilience to do it. And so my passion, sort of long narrative there. So the passion started with grit, res resilience, and but I was self-centered for survival to feel safe. Not because I wasn't like, oh, look at me. I'm awesome. It's look at me. I need to survive. And also because I was bullied to that degree, I want to be liked. Mm -hmm. I want to be liked. I yeah. want to be accepted. And so I had to be very brave a few times. As a matter of fact, I, I talk about my first true bravery moment in my life that, that was all on me, where no one encouraged me to do this was, I know I wanted to go to the Naval Academy. It was, either, it was either go to the Naval Academy, which was free education, and I got to serve my country, which I was passionate about, Navy pilot, I want to be an astronaut. And the only way to get in there with B plus grades, A minus grades was I needed sports. I needed a football captain. I needed to be popular. I needed to do all these things to get that that name recognition up there. And so the bravest thing I did in my life to that point was I went out for freshman football. The clicks had already formed. I'd never been on a team organized sport because I lived too far out of town. My parents didn't have a car to get me there because they were always broken down. And my dad was using it to get to his retail job. And so walking on the freshman football Facing the bullies that actually were bullying me, calling me names, and trying out for a starting position was the bravest thing I had done in my life at that point. Mm. And it worked. Mm. 
And so that became the cycle um, that started a little too much me with popularity that I needed to br bring the dichotomy into balance as I started discovering my impact on others and being aware of it as I got older. What a long answer. I apologize. <laughs> what, what happens to that focus of me when you get to the military? Yeah. I, I can't. Fail. Yeah. <laughs> so I got through the Naval Academy. So all throughout life, I got into the Naval Academy because I had reps of recruiting allies. I I'm gregarious. I'm outgoing. I love people. I love conversations. I love interacting. And there's no, and I'm, since I'm so transparent, if you're not willing to talk, I'll tell you all about me. I mean, I will go at you with all about me, telling all the stories, woes of my life, you know, positive, negative, but I was never a wound collector either. So I, I never went negative with anyone. I was a positive glass half full kind of guy. So hell, I didn't even know there's anything wrong in my life till I looked back at it later and said, huh, we didn't have any money. Never noticed. I had friends that I, I grew up with that will reach out to me and say, Robin, I'm so glad you made it. Made it? Made what? <laughs> and made it out of that situation. What situation? Everything seemed fine to me. But anyway, so <laughs> like I, you survived physically. Yeah. I mean, because I was I was a free range child before they were popular. I mean, especially, <laughs> besides, you know, we're, we're all Gen Xers. I mean, Gen Xers, we, we were born shooting BB guns at each other before they invented this, this, these, these nerf and airsoft things. No, no gun. We shot at each other. And then we went back to sticks and stones. I grew up like Lord of the Flies. Um, mm -hmm. My parents had no idea where I was. I had like 10 or 15 jobs before I even graduated high school just because I needed to buy school clothes because my parents were financial morons. <laughs> and so. Mm -hmm. You learn the dichotomy here because I was good at creating allies to survive. I'd been doing it my entire yeah. life. I had reps. But then when I got out of the Naval Academy, I get in the Marine Corps and I get ranked last, dead last out of all the other second lieutenants in my squadron. That was a, another – I had plenty of humbling moments along the way. I went to four academic review boards at the Naval Academy because you don't let a guy – that had to take the SATs seven times just to get the bare minimum score to get an application to Naval Academy. They let me major in aerospace engineering. That was dumb. I failed out of that, <laughs> but I had to recruit some allies to not get kicked out. So I went to four academic review boards recruiting allies. And But when I got in the Marine Corps, it's no longer recruiting allies. It's are you a leader? Are you serving others? Are you making about others? You're making about myself. So my first evaluation with my major, my reviewing officer, I was ranked last. 14 out of 14 out of the second lieutenants. There's another aha moment in life. <laughs> and, I, and I owned it. And I said, what am I doing wrong? And he goes, that's easy. You need to be a better leader. Huh. Not getting that. I'm a popular guy. I thought popularity was leadership. People like me. He goes, no, no, no. You need to make it about everyone else but yourself. Again, when you have reps not in this area, I had no idea what he's talking about because I thought I was. I said, what do I do? What specifically do I do? Again, those what questions make people be very specific. And he couldn't. He goes, I don't know. Just figure it out. So when I was 23, the gone got laid down. I needed to figure that out. And I did. <laughs> it took years, but I kept doing. And like it's it's a, like everything in life. It's a it's a it's a journey, not a destination. I liken it to art because Mona Lisa was what Leonardo da Vinci carried with him for 15, 16 years of his life. He never finished it. It was his work of art as he learned a new technique, a new skill to take a two-dimensional image and make it alive in three. As he learned new things, he would carry with him. He'd put another brushstroke here, learn more about lighting here, put another one here, learn something more about the types of paints he was using, do it here, erase something here. So it became this work of art. And so human interactions are exactly the same thing. When you actually 
regard another human being and the way we're going to communicate as a beautiful art form crafted and designed just for them. That's what matters. That's yeah. what I had to learn. Well, you, you bring up, a, I think a, it seems obvious to you, but it's not obvious to, I think a lot of people I know, it wasn't obvious to me as a young man, but became more clear as I got older and that that relationships are iterative. They're ongoing and mm. like any game and they are a game because there's a beginning, a middle and an end in life. But like any game, there are two things I think that we're faced with. One is how do we win the game? What does it mean to win the game in relationship, which is the other person wins, you champion them. And, and if there's you're a book, play, that's a book idea, Dan, winning the game of relationships. What's that? I said, that's a book idea, man. <laughs> well, Winning the game it, of relationships. And, and then the second game within the game is to play the game well enough that others want to play with you again. Yeah. Right? Because you can easily go and win an interaction at the expense of another person or in a way that you humiliate them and they're not going to want to play with you again. Never. And that that undercuts any ability to really learn on an iterative basis. I know I've been married, I've been with my wife this year, 48 years. And I often think I'll lay in bed going, hmm, there's a number of ways I can handle this current breakdown. <laughs> I could win here or I could lose, or I could be with her in a way that, you know, <clears throat> maybe she wins and I don't, doesn't matter. Does she want to play again? You know, will right. she want to come back to the table and play again? Mm. There's, um, I, I mentioned this on other podcasts, but there are, there's a body of research out there around this kind of thing. And, and it's with rats, you know, the mice, they have mice playing and they got, you got the big mice and then you got the little mice and mice like to wrestle and they like to play and they can tell the difference between play aggressive and, and, Danger aggression. And large mice, they found if they wrestled with the little mice, the little mice had to win between 30 and 40% of the time or they didn't want to play anymore. And mm -hmm. the larger mice knew that, the ones that were socially adept and they have had their own hierarchies, etc. But what you're saying is really vital. You've obviously learned to play. And, I, and I'd love to hear some about this because you, I think you do this automatically. You've learned to play in a way that be, to be very good at the game, but also to be inclusive in a way that people want to play with you. You know, they want to engage with you. And, you know, I think just your comment about uh, having Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson on your podcast, you know, he wanted to because he saw your, your vision statement and, and, I, and your vision statement is powerful. It, it, it communicates that it communicates I'm here to play 100%, but I also want to keep playing. I want to play in the game. So, I mean, you, you've, you've actually said that a few times. I mean, you've illuminated that in, in your story. I love that the people I chat with have no idea that I might not agree with them. Right on. I, 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 it, to me, I, I have such a, a broad spectrum of people that have been on my show. And you know what I love about it, all of them? There's some that are completely opposite on where they stand politically, on different issues. And they all, and, I, and here's, it's not they think I like them. I actually do like them all. Absolutely. I, I, human beings, 
if you want, so again, one of the greatest challenges we all have, if you can let go and do your best to let go of the negative confirmation bias that we have, you'll like everyone. You, if you are looking to yeah. like, dislike something about someone, you will find it. If you're looking to like someone, something about someone, you will. Right, find and that. you can dislike it and still like them. I yeah. mean, you can, you know. It's, it, least, that's, and even if you don't like them, you can at least understand them. And that's really yeah, what everyone's yeah. looking for. They just want to be seen and they want to be heard. Doesn't mean you have to understand. Doesn't mean you have to like them. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them. People just want to say what they want to say and have someone understand what it is they're saying. Yeah. And Boy, that's, that's being present. You give me such a great description of of. Um, Empathy, like you're, you don't have to agree with them, you don't have to sympathize with them, but you can certainly understand where they're coming from, and they don't need to know what you will like or dislike. And the funny yes. thing is, when you, when you and when you go to the point to understand that, if someone has a belief, a background, a a a, a thing that they are passionate about in life, they put a lot of thought into that. Yeah. And so give them the respect and understanding that they thought hard about this. I want to hear your thought process, because once I understand how you thought about it, the th research you did, the, the thought, I can really get a deeper understanding of your arc of life. And I understand that arc of life, you now become predictable. If I can actually start predicting what you're going to do and how you're going to respond, I can now make choices about how deeply I want to interact with you, how I want to partner with you or not want to partner with you. And so it's a great thing. You know, one of my other great um friends and favorite authors is a guy named Joshua Medcalf. He wrote a series of books. And one of the books I love is Chop Wood, Carry Water. Oh, and, yeah. Great book. Yeah, yeah. He's on the show. His, his episode's coming out. Uh, oh, weeks. love his stuff. Yep. His, I love Joshua. And so Joshua said this great thing in his book on leadership. But one of the last ones he wrote, he goes, think about the person you just love and you light up when they walk through the door. You see an email from them. You get a text from them. And so that's the person that you just love. You light up when you see that name and then ask yourself, are you that person? Right on. Yeah. Well, I have a question for you because it's a little it kind of goes in the opposite direction because I know you know this. I know you've probably encountered it certainly as an FBI agent, but there is there is in the world and uh, a maliciousness. A, and I think we all have that in us. We all have, I think in order to be able to care for other people, one of the first things I have to be in touch with is my own na malicious, malicious nature and, and how it influences me. But what, like you've, you've obviously encountered this maliciousness and mm -hmm. throughout history, it's, you know, all the, all the great societies, cultures have uh, identified it as an individual, like almost like an individual spirit to be aware of both internally and externally. And, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because you can, you can, I, I've, I've done some watching some YouTubes lately of people that are murderers and they're being mm -hmm. inter interviewed by uh, psychologists or, and it's interesting because you can get to, you can actually connect with them mm -hmm. and understand what their thinking is and how they arrive there. But I'd love to hear, I mean, I'd love to hear what yep. your thoughts are on that. Yeah, they ha I do a lot of true crime uh, commentary on the news and stuff. And I get a I, matter of fact, it's on another podcast. That I'm on a weekly podcast for it, too. And so my when I see that, when I see, like you say, maliciousness, my now there are chemical imbalances there. As my friend, Dr. Chris Mahani says, there's people with a broken brain. And for those things, 
they need to be recognized earlier and treated when you have a broken brain. But for people that are acting out of not having a broken brain, every time I see a maliciousness, I see a, a, a wound collector in some way, I, I see pain. I literally yeah. start, I see pain and I got, and I, I go on a tear to try to figure out where that pain originated from, where it came from and what I can do to not be an exasperator of that pain when they're interacting with me. So I can actually see and discover the core of who they are. So I can see that because that's what, all that maliciousness is. It's a defensive mechanism to want to be accepted and want to be part of the tribe that they felt ostracized from in general when they don't have a broken brain. So I'm letting go of my, abhorrence of their behavior and i'm trying to discover the origin of the pain because yeah. it, it was it came from somewhere we are born if we don't have a broken brain we're all born really damn equal and something happens along the way i want to know what happened that made that pain happen to them because we all have it some people mm -hmm. deal with it differently because of what they're surrounded with because of the environment that influences the nature and the nurture balance and everything so i, I see pain first and i want to understand that pain yeah it's it's interesting to me too that people can come from one house who went through common pain and mm -hmm. somebody gives themselves to the maliciousness and the other person gives themselves to compassion. And, and they went through very, the same circumstances together. Yeah. It's interesting to me what goes off in their, uh, in their heads that produce that kind of behavior. It definitely and is. I'd love to hear like for you, the, I, I, what are some of the ways that you've I mean, you've obviously encountered it? I'd love to hear what it is that's been most intriguing in that area. Uh, so probably on, on the side of counterintelligence, I mean, I do all this commentary on the on true crime stuff, murders and you know, like the Brian Koberger case. I've done a lot on that. Lori Daybell oh. killed her kids, you know, the cultists. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, so I, I've looked at all these cases. I haven't had a chance to interview people like that. So I can only give an account of the people I have encountered like this in cases. And so in my side in counterintelligence, it was espionage subjects. And in general, if someone was committing like high level espionage, like betraying their country, doing some really bad crap, that was not the only thing going sideways in their life. Just like with a Brian Koberger, who's accused of Idaho murders, just like Lori Daybell, what you're seeing going on trial is a tip of an iceberg of a pattern of an arc of life of really abhorrent, abnormal behavior. And so that mm -hmm. is just what it's manifested in today that got the trial. So there's always a pattern yeah. that establishes there. And so that's yeah. with everyone. So it's just kind of going back in that style. And so what was interesting to me, probably the first case that struck me like this, so I was doing a behavioral assessment on an espionage investigation. This guy had been picked up for having classified information on his home computer on thumb drives. And so in the low, and it was, it didn't rise to the level of, of federal because they thought it was just a mishandling of classified things. So for some reason, it was just like states and locals went into the house with a search warrant. They seized the computer, they imaged the, the computer and thumb drives, and then they found a crap ton of pedophile pictures, you know, pictures of children. And then they found he had diaries of where he had written in his journal about what he was doing to children, like 60, 66 victims. Oof. And my job, my team was called in because it's an espionage case, but it overlapped with criminal. And we were told we were given a strategy. Uh, we were told we need to come up with an interview strategy. He had been arrested and he's waiting sentencing, and they wanted him to confess to the crimes, but more importantly, they wanted him to identify who all the victims were because all we had was pseudonyms. We didn't have true names, and we wanted we needed to go save children that were had been abused, and so. 
how do you inspire someone to do that unless you can yeah. walk a mile in their shoes? And mm -hmm. so in order to do that, luckily for us, we had more behavioral information. So we went from, we have this, this vile pedophile that sexually assaulted and abused children. But then we, when you read his diary, in his diary, he had written a poem and he had written the poem when he was nine years old. And the poem centered around how he was stalked and raped by his Cub Scout master next door. And then from the age of nine to 19, how he had been routinely sodomized and raped by the Cub Scouts that he was in Boy Scouts with. And he even wrote in his diary about how he defined love as when sex wasn't forced and not love is when it was forced. And so his entire redefinition and context of the world of love centered around these definitions he was given and that was, he was forged around by these, this pain he suffered when he was nine. Again, it's a horrible story of pain and tragedy on all levels. And so when you understand that context, and I told the case agent, if it can't be you to interview him, if you're going to sit there and judge, he's not looking right. for you to judge him. He feels bad about who he is because this person, when he actually wrote about it, he cares about children. He thought from his twisted mind about how he was exposed, he thought he was giving love. But he was giving mm -hmm. pain. And so the, the, the strategy was talk about him wanting to save the children he inadvertently did harm to. Because from his mind, from his context, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Wow, and, and so that is, and I know it's a horrible story. I don't know often tell a story because it's a real downer, but when you talk about getting close without agreeing with someone, but understanding context, when when the because what's the mission? Save children. Yeah, right on. You got right to decide. Yeah. yeah. No, I appreciate it. Thanks, Robin. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're talking as you're talking about this, Robin, and you're obviously a master at it, um, partially. Uh, at least a good part of that is, as you pointed out, a strategy early uh, in life, but then also became a vocation. And um, this this conversation is so vital. Mm. I mean, I, I my, you know, it's because it's a generous it's a generous act to attempt to throw yourself at empathizing um, with the villain in the story. It, it takes it's it, it takes courage to do that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think mostly because, and I'm connecting it to kind of our audience here, which yeah. is, you know, usually kind of frustrated founders. That's what we've called them over the years, like right. people that are running something and it's not, it's, it's full of grand vision and then it's full of reality, which isn't as grand. And, you know, naturally we make enemies of like, we're threatened by humans and we became, we create enemies of those threats instead of doing this, which takes a lot of courage to sit down. Like when I'm in major breakdown with someone on my team, it takes a lot of, I mean, I was just in it in the conversation right before we get on here. Um, but we've got this offsite that's going to be planned and the founder, she's a fast moving founder and, oh, and, uh, really relentless. No nonsense. And she said, and she said if they don't make this, I'm going to fire them. And I said, okay, hold on a second. Relax. That's a lot Relax. of pain. <laughs> Why don't you let them know how much it matters to you that they're there and why it matters to you that they're there and what's at stake if they don't come as far as like for them, what would be at stake for them and how it might be a detriment to them of not being there. And then listen to how they think about all those things instead of, you know, every 
every negotiation is a hostage situation. Like I said to her, Hey, put your gun down. Will you? It's okay. Relax. You know? So you're all right. You know, anyway, all that to say is, I think my point is this, what might seem like even, I mean, even when you said that, I'm sure people listening like to take the side of that person and to honor really what was going on for them. Cause we all, I mean, we always say in our work, like nobody makes a stupid decision. And what we mean by that is everyone makes the best decision they see in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like take it to the bank. That's what I said with that level of conviction. That that's a like gravity. Otherwise they would choose something else. Right. So reality as our, as our, as our most effective mirror. And so people make decisions for some reason <laughs> that seem so far off from the decision we'd make, you know, mm-hmm. And but to be be willing to come to that side of the table mm. and look at it through their eyes. I mean, that's such a human, um, humane thing to do. And there's power in that, which you're pointing out. That's effectiveness in connecting to them. And that's how you build trust with them. And that's how they think they, they can believe that you're their ally. And you really are in order to get something done, which is save the children. Right. And, and essentially to get this guy behind bars, but you're really an ally. Right. Um, cause it also, um, it's what this guy needed as well. Cause yeah. a 20 year sentence with, uh, just justice without, cause he's going to be an expense to the government for the rest of his life. Um, but yet his legacy will continue unless he, can get the help he needs. So he's not further, you know, toxic, you know, making any environment toxic. So there's a great quote I heard today. since we're talking about the, you know, context and walking a mile in someone's shoes. And I wrote this one down because I thought it was so perfect. It's great to walk a mile in someone's shoes, but you can't walk in someone else's shoes until you take yours off. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's right. Yeah. And so it's it, it's not easy, but in order to do it, and these are great illustrations, both with your your founder and this guy. If you want to solve problems and you want to move the ball forward, you got to innovate. And in order to innovate, people have to feel safe. You know, this guy's not going to com- confess to me the names of his victims unless he feels safe with me. Yeah. People aren't going to follow that founder unless they feel safe with her. You know, and and, yes. and, and and threatening people with firing everyone—that's not making people feel safe. <laughs> well, no, it makes sense with the name of. I mean, now I understand forged in trust, right? right? I mean, the relationships are forged in trust, and it is not. I mean, I, I know a lot of the work we do, coaching and training, and we have to unplug from our own agenda and plug in yeah. the agenda of those that we're championing. And in order to do that, it requires what, what you're talking about is set aside. I have very different political beliefs, very different beliefs about family or, you know, how I would live my life than most of my clients. But that doesn't I, I, I unplug from that so I can connect with what they're up to so I can be uh, of good, you know, of value to them. Something that they would want that they that they can benefit from as our relationship. But and then if they want to talk about other things, sure. But but the idea is we we have to unplug that way. And what you're talking about is really true for any entrepreneur, any founder. If you're going to build a team, best to know how your team's thinking, what's most important to them. How does 
how is what's most important to them line up with the vision of the organization? And if it doesn't, you'd not only do harm to the company, but you do harm to the people on your team. You know, a good test for yourself in this and how well are you doing this? So I, I have these interviews on the podcast and we're literally talking about Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, who who has specific well, ideas on humanity and, and the state of the world and civilization. And I'm at a run to honor uh, the other day for Memorial Day. And at the end of it, someone was asking me who, you know, how my interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson was. And this person does not agree with him whatsoever. And I didn't say whether I did or didn't either. But the fact that I could actually communicate all of Neil's ideas, and not just his ideas, but why he thinks the way he does, how he sees the universe through his perspective. And you know what? And these ideas didn't lie with mine. The fact that I could actually argue with someone, not argue, but discuss with someone a completely different point of view than mine and make it relevant to them so it actually inspired them to think differently as well, even though the person I'm talking with, I aligned with him completely. Is that making sense? I mean, as actually, when you can know someone and why they think the way they do, even if it's not aligned with yours, that means you, you're you walking in their shoes. That means you're understanding their point of view. And it makes you more educated, more well-rounded, and especially if you don't want to rule out being able to bring on anyone and champion anyone. You have to be able to communicate with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going, we're going a little bit longer than I promised. Do you have a couple more minutes? Yeah, sure. I didn't really. I have another question for you. I have, I have, what's that? It's a great chat and I give way too long answers. My apologies. (laughs) No, it's, it's fantastic, man. You have elevated this conversation and podcast. I appreciate you. Um, I, I, the, the two things I'm wondering, well, one, we, we still haven't gotten to how it went from Marine Corps to, to your work with the FBI and, and ultimately where you landed and then, and then beyond that, obviously now you're working with teams and in the, in the, in the private sector. And that's interesting too, along the lines of the, what we're currently talking about, I want to play devil's advocate for just one second yeah. and just ask, what is your relationship to manipulation? Mm-hmm. So I can hear the thoughts of people listening to this conversation going, okay, when in the context of a pre- a predator or a pedophile, I'm great with you out going out, Robin, and and manipulating him to get the answers you need to go take care of the children that are suffering. I'm on board for that. Now, if we take that same principle, which we are, and we're applying it to leadership, let's say leadership in a corporation, I I could be a little bit more apprehensive thinking, okay, now I'm not so much on board with your manipulation. I'm I'm calling it manipulation, but that's why I want to get your context and answer around this. Um, and uh, I'm not so much on board with your manipulation to get what you want from your team. So I know like that's the, that's the conversation I hear going on. Um, wh- how do you, wh- what's your reaction to that? How do you relate to that? What, what do you, where do you put manipulation? Nope, nope, nope. Nope, I don't do manipulation. Even in that situation, I will not do it because it, it destroys trust. And if you want to inspire someone for action, if they think you're manipulating, even even get a hint of it, shields up, shutting down, it won't work. I, I live on the core principles of transparency, honesty, openness, and vulnerability because that empowers someone to see me 
And if they see me, they can make the choices they think are in their best interest. Even with this individual, I told him very straight out. Well, the strategy I wasn't the one doing the interview is like, hey, you got to tell them exactly what the deal is, exactly why sharing what this is going to do in terms of him. So the big thing is you can strategize a dialogue to make it about the other person. That's not manipulation. It's actually it's this is where the art comes in. Art is about making the conversation centered on the other person and not yourself. Now, when you're transparent and you're honest about everything that you can be, and if you can't be honest about something because of a policy, because of rule or regulation, then you just say it. I can't share this with you because it's in our best interest because of this SOP we have, because of this protocol we have, because of this law we have. But now I'm being transparent about that. Subterfuge, manipulation, pretext calls, all that crap. You know why I know it doesn't work? I was trained to do it. I've tried it for years. I can do great carnival tricks. I can get you to give me your PIN number, your date of birth, and your social security number, and you all have no idea you did it. But you know what? It's a carnival trick. What's it get me? It gets me a transactional relationship that it blows away like the wind. When you're trying to create allies and you're trying to solve problems through innovation, you're not looking for transactional relationships. Transactional relationships are great. And those tools and techniques are fantastic at a boardroom when you're in a negotiation. But if you want to actually go negotiate a relationship that's going to take you beyond what the sale price is, you got to get rid of it because it won't it won't get you anywhere. Even in the world of counterintelligence, we will. I've been an undercover agent. I'm undercover certified. I was the undercover that was making the first contact with an intelligence officer because it was an access point um, for making this contact. Was I the one that's going to continue the relationship? Hell no. You know why? It was a lie. Who I was was a lie. I need to hand it off that someone who's real, someone who can be who they need to be, someone who's actually going to answer their questions honestly and transparently, solve a problem and pain point in their life, who actually can, if they can't solve that problem or pain point, they can say, it won't be me this time. I will work on this. And so that, because if you start a relationship based on a fraud, based on a lie and deception, once it's discovered, getting trust back, good luck. Really hard. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because you, I mean, thanks for letting me back in. <laughs> um, we missed you. you, you, the manipulation, you know, just what you're saying about manipulation. I, 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 any communication is a manipulation that's designed to persuade. It's who, I mean, in the sense of manipulating. What I hear you saying is don't lie. Right. Transparent. No need to lie. Yeah, be transparent. And in a way, that is, in the sense, I'm manipulating myself to be real because what I'm going to find out is who's really over there. Manipulating myself right? to be real. I like that. And then I'm going to find out who's real around me. And I bet, you know, because you're so aware, like if I'm really aware of how I manipulate, then I'm going to be clued into the criminal and other people. And I'll be able to, I'll be able to empathically tune into where they're at. But I, I, I've, I've thought about this manipulation thing a lot, and um, I'm constantly manipulating myself to get off of me to be there for my wife, get off of me to be there for my partners, get off of me to be there for my clients, right? That is a manipulation, but I'm manipulating me so that I can get real with who's there and I can get through, I can connect with who's really there. And what you're doing right there is it goes to the bedrock of what I said we all do if yeah. we want to inspire trust. You're being honest, transparent, and vulnerable. Right on. And people can smell it. They know when I'm lying, you know. Congruent. I've seen it. Because people yeah. see the congruence of your words and your actions and your deeds. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's really that simple. I was on a call yesterday with someone and – 
wasn't it was it was interesting like when i when i have a reaction to someone i'm having a conversation with and i say to myself that's interesting when i say something <laughs> like that that's a red, that's my red flags and i reflect on this conversation afterwards i literally as i was walking around today i was like wow that guy was really good you know he and so i even i made the decision that he hasn't come at he came at me with a soft ask on something um but i know there's an agenda and there's an agenda I'm not aware of yet. And so nah, I'm not going, I know I won't even go there because I, I saw it because I have reps in it. I, that's the one thing that, that when you start realizing you want to be an artist and no longer paint by number, uh, doesn't yeah. you are an artist. You can never call yourself an artist. Only someone else can call you an artist, but you start reckon when you get those reps in and your spider senses start tingling, you can identify exactly why they're tingling, exactly what someone was doing, exactly someone who's, who's crafty at these things. And, and you can, I almost think he was having a, a, a good time trying to see what he could do and get me to do as a test for himself. He's an older guy too, um, with years of reps, but, uh, I recognize it. Um, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So now we just back away. <laughs> we don't do crazy. We don't do crazy. We don't do, crazy. We don't do broken brain people. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, we have to end this somewhere. This has been amazing. We gotta have, so we gotta have, Robin, you got to come back. Yes. I, there's a bunch of questions I have, I've written down that I would love to f just pick your brain on. And I, I think the audience would really enjoy hearing because there's, there's so much you've done. And you have a background of experience that would be great to get out in the open as much as possible. Absolutely. I'd love to. But the most important thing is what I love what you all did today is you set the great foundation on life. It's like, how do we need to be, how do we need to show up for others and how do we help founders? How do we help anyone move forward with inspiring the people around them to be innovative because innovation yeah. doesn't solve problems. And that comes down to making yeah. people feel safe and seeing their pain and, and being that honest broker in their life, as I call it, being the loving critic for others, uh, dropping the truth bombs on them with love that they need. <laughs> yep. Right on. Yeah. Thank you for your time, for your generosity. Oh. oh, sorry. We, we call ahead, that, uh, we call that fierce advocacy. Yes. Yeah. I know. I, I, and I, I loved having you guys on so much. Was, <laughs> oh, yeah. The conversations are deep and vast and, and rich. And I got my goosebumps again, because when you make great human connections at this depth and level, um, it, it just inspires us all, no doubt. Well, thank we'll, link, uh, we'll link for those listening, we'll link to um, Robin's content in the show notes so that you can follow him. It's, it's worth, worth the listen, worth the follow. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, would love to have you back, brother. My pleasure, yeah. my honor. And for those listening, my last thing you got to make sure you do before you end any podcast is hit subscribe, hit like, share it with your friends. If there's content in here, these gentlemen put a lot of time and effort into this. Make sure you share this with the world, man. These are the masters of all things human relations. Go. <laughs> You're kind. Well, thanks thanks for that. Thank you for being here. I love you guys. Bye, everybody. Ciao. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. As a heads up, every Friday we post a Cliff Notes version of that week's conversation with all the highlights in under five minutes. Check that out for a quick and powerful reminder of the principles discussed. I hope this conversation has been valuable to you. If it has, the greatest compliment you could pay us 
is sharing it with somebody who could use it. Thanks so much for listening. And until next week, bye-bye, everybody. I've been an undercover agent. I'm undercover certified. I was the undercover that was making the first contact with an intelligence officer because it was an access point um, for making this contact. Was I the one that's going to continue the relationship? Hell no. You know why? It was a lie.